You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, part of the 90 Min Podcast Network and currently sponsored by our friends over at Pro Prep. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and this is our post-match reaction show following Arsenal's 2-1 defeat at Goodison Park. Where do we start? I, you know, have been really kind of keen to not go down this negative route whereby we're kind of looking at this team and setting these unrealistic expectations and then inevitably being disappointed and then hammering everyone and anyone within our path off the back of that. But looking at tonight's performance, looking at the way Arsenal performed, looking at some of the decisions the manager made, looking at some of the individual errors or failure, inability to take opportunities that came our way. You can't help but be pissed off. You can't help but be angry. You can't help but be bitterly disappointed. And um, there's no excuses tonight. You know, there's no, there's nothing you can say that me, that that, I'm mincing up my words because I'm so so upset, so frustrated. There's nothing you can say tonight that gets anybody involved in that performance off the hook. We'll start right at the very beginning and we'll start with the team selection. Ramsdale in goal, back four, as most of us wanted to see, of Tommy Asu, White, Gabriel and Tierney. Midfield, Thomas Partey continued in there. Alongside Granit Xhaka, who just miraculously returned after a couple of months on the sidelines with a knee injury, we knew that he was back training. We knew that he was slightly ahead of schedule. Who on earth would have predicted that Granit Xhaka would be thrown into the starting lineup from the off in a game like this, away at Goodison Park? Then you move further forward. Martin Odegaard continued in the side. And I actually thought Martin Odegaard was probably one of Arsenal's better players tonight. Doesn't mean he was great. Doesn't mean I'm going to shower him with praise, but he was one of the better players. And of course, he contributed a goal. Saka came in on the right-hand side. Didn't look quite fit. On the left-hand side, it was Martinelli. Had some positive involvements, but again, as I've said before, his overall game is not quite where it needs to be in order for him to hold down a place in, in this side week in, week out. And then up front, we made the decision, or or Mikel Arteta made the decision, that so many wanted to see him make. The decision to leave out Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And he went with Alexander Lacazette, which I'm not going to go too big on because that's what I said I would have done. But the reality is that he didn't perform. And and every time, you know, with, with Aubameyang, we kind of get frustrated and disappointed with him. And then we want to move him out. And then we put someone else in who just isn't up to it. And it's not a, a reflection on Aubameyang. He's been bloody abysmal. He came on, he missed a glorious opportunity right at the end of the game. But the point here is that this team is just lacking in quality. It's lacking in quality when it counts. It's lacking lacking in um, in-game intelligence. It's lacking in 
the ability to manage games. You know, again, we've taken a lead. Again, we've thrown it away. And actually tonight, we were lucky that we only got beat 2-1. Our performance was that bad tonight that we could have been hammered and nobody would have been able to complain. Nobody would have had a leg to stand on. You know, we were on the right side of a couple of VAR decisions with regards to those two goals that Richarlison scored. People would say, well, he was offside, so we did our job. And whilst I get that, and and laws are laws, I, I don't say rules because referees get precious when you say that. The laws of the game are the laws of the game. But when you're talking about margins like that, it is luck. It is fortune. That's not by design. We were extremely fortunate twice. And that should have been the warning sign for this Arsenal side. You know, we, we had a let off at the start. Uh, sorry, we had a let off just before Martin Odegaard scored the goal. Richarlison, everybody knows, is um, Everton's biggest goal threat. Standing in the middle of the penalty area, completely unmarked and gets a header off on goal. And again, we're incredibly lucky that the VAR is in place and they've spotted that. And then he scores again. And again, we're incredibly lucky. We're inc incredibly lucky. Um, you know, it's... And, and you're sitting there at that point and you're thinking, well, we've been so lucky up until this point. Surely it's going to be our night. But no, because we self-destruct, because we're poor. And... and there are so many reasons for it and we're going to come on to discuss all of them individually now. And I'm just trying to do a bit of an intro and I'm getting a little bit lost because I'm trying to kind of make sure that I convey the right bits from my perspective. But there is so much to unpack off the back of that performance. Um, Ryan Finity in the chat tells me to shut up. He says, shut up, Harry. Come on, man. Look at Everton. They were shocking. Why are Arsenal fans so biased towards our, our performance? We was the better side by a mile until 80 minutes. Ryan, we didn't have a shot on target until Martin Odegaard scored on the stroke of half time. Did we have a shot on target in the second half? We created absolutely nothing. You know, I'm normally one of the first people to, to sit here and, and try and find some kind of middle ground with regards to why Arsenal weren't able to get over the line or why Arsenal struggled and, and the only tiny little thing, well, it might not be tiny, but the only thing I can come up with if I'm trying to think of an excuse as such is that Everton kicked us off the park this evening. And that's the one thing that I've got that is kind of, you know, it is, is bugging me and is frustrating me is that Everton were overly physical, in my opinion. I mean, Godfrey, how he stayed on the pitch was unbelievable. He made a dirty challenge on Bukayo Saka. He stepped on Takahiro Tomiyasu's face. He made another bad challenge in the second period as well. Unbelievable that he wasn't given his marching orders and sent for an early bath. It's, it's a shambles, but that doesn't excuse what I saw from Arsenal. And that was a lack of ideas, a lack of inspiration, an inability to create opportunities, an inability to um, to see out a game in which, as you say, you know, they probably should have, um, you know, cruised through on the balance of play. We certainly had all of the ball. We certainly dominated possession. But there's just something missing in this Arsenal team. We're missing a spark. We're missing 
that bit of magic. We're missing that individual brilliance that sees so many other sides get over the line, even when they're not performing um, at, at their best level. And it doesn't really seem to matter whether you play Aubameyang up front or if you play Lacazette up front. It doesn't seem to matter if Saka and, and Smith-Rowe are wide. It doesn't matter if Martinelli's wide. It doesn't matter if Pepe's in the team. It doesn't matter if Enketia's in the team. It doesn't matter if Odegaard plays or doesn't play. It just seems to me that whoever we go with, we are missing that spark. And is it down to the manager? Well, it's got to be partly down to the manager. You know, I've defended him a lot, but ultimately the results are what the manager will live and die by. And I was very kind of angry and frustrated on, on one of the podcasts I recorded yesterday because I felt like people were kind of talking about us failing in this game before we'd even done it. The meltdown is fine when you lose. Um, sometimes it is over the top, but I understand it when the emotion of a defeat is raw. I don't understand people putting us down before we got into the game. Um, but then, you know... Arsenal made me look stupid. Arsenal made me look stupid. With me sitting here defending them and saying that, you know, let's let's reserve the kind of meltdown. Let's reserve going crazy. Let's reserve the judgment until we actually see whether they can bounce back after that Old Trafford defeat with a win at Everton, which will put us in a really good position going into the weekend. And with a home game against Southampton, had we picked up three points from that, we could have been in a wonderful place. But Arsenal have let me down. They've let you down. They've let every... Arsenal fan out there down today. And, you know, Mikel Arteta's made some stupid decisions here tonight and we're going to talk about them. And listen, I'm I'm going to try and be as honest as I possibly can while remaining respectful, but it's very hard to defend some of the decisions that he made tonight. And, and, and that's the reality. I've mentioned the Xhaka thing, comes back into the side. And I actually thought for the first, I want to say the first half, I thought Xhaka was... Um, was probably one of our better players. I thought, especially in the first half an hour, he was getting around the pitch. He was um, winning tackles. He was blocking things. He was picking out Kieran Tierney on that left wing, as he loves to do so often. He was, I thought, pretty good. And I thought that Thomas Partey alongside him was just below par, was just, you know, showing the th same things he's shown in recent times, which is a bit of a sloppiness in possession, um, an inability to kind of keep up with the pace of the game. And I thought to myself pre-game when I saw Xhaka was in the team, I was thinking, well, the only positive of this, because I think that was a massive risk, right? And I think that you don't, under any circumstances, unless you're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi or someone of that ilk, you do not bring someone back who's been out for that period of time, just bang like that in a game at Goodison Park. We decided to do it. Granit Xhaka come in and my initial thought, as I say, pre-game was, well, Xhaka coming in gives us that bit more positional discipline and gives us that little bit more stability, which would then allow Thomas Partey, hopefully, to step a little bit further forward and try and impose himself on the game a little bit more. But it, it didn't work like that. You know, I thought it was very, it was very evident early on in the second half that Granit Xhaka had run out of steam. He'd run out of steam not through any fault of his own because the guy's been out for two months and it's crazy to throw him straight back in. Thomas Partey was awful again. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to have people making excuses for him. You know, even in the first half when he did have a 
relatively fit or fitter Granite Xhaka alongside him, he still looked poor. He was still sloppy. Almost all the times we gave the ball away in the first half, it was still Thomas Partey. And in the second half, that never got any better. And when you look at how uh, the equaliser came about, it's a shit show between Thomas Partey and Nuno Tavares, who between them can't even get a throw-in right. A simple throw-in. A throw-in that you will see 20 times in a game where the fullback throws it into the centre midfielder, he takes a cushion touch, back to the fullback it goes, and the play builds from there. And between them, they couldn't get it right. They made a hash of it. And, and Arsenal end up conceding a goal off the back of it. It's, for me, that there are, there are issues, there are concerns. Um, you know, I thought that going to Everton gave us a real opportunity to kind of stop all this. You know, we... We went to Anfield, we lost, we got beaten comprehensively. The reaction to that was in some cases over the top, but overall I thought that the, the Arsenal fan base was quite mature about it and was quite understanding of where we were and where we're at and the difference between ourselves and Liverpool. And that was only ever going to kind of be pushed aside and brushed under the carpet if we could then beat Newcastle that weekend or the following weekend and get ourselves back on track immediately. Then we go to Old Trafford and we get beaten at Old Trafford in a game that many of us feel that on the balance of play, we should have got something out of. But we don't. We leave Old Trafford empty handed and the reaction to that was much bigger than the reaction to Liverpool. Because Manchester United are not as good as Liverpool or haven't been as good as Liverpool. And this was a game, you know, and, and I said it yesterday, going to Goodison Park is never easy. You know, Everton were going to have to turn it around at some point. Goodison Park, Monday night, under the lights. It's never an easy game. And I've got to be honest, I'm not even, you know, I, I said I wanted four points from those two fixtures. We've ended up with none, which is obviously disappointing. Had we gone to Goodison Park tonight and drawn, but the performance was good and there were things that I, I enjoyed and, and parts of the game where I thought, yeah, Arsenal were, um, you know, very, very good, very, very solid, very creative. Uh, and it just wasn't our night. I'd, I'd be more accepting of dropping points, but I can't accept dropping points, losing the game and turning in a performance like that. It was a disgusting performance. I don't, you know, people are going to sit there and they're going to tell me that Arsenal had loads of the ball and Arsenal did this and Arsenal did that. And Arsenal were very unlucky because Eddie Nketiah missed a chance. What the hell was Eddie Nketiah doing on the pitch in the first place? That's another matter for another day. But to manage three shots on target is not good enough. What's the point in having 64% of the possession if you can't create chances, you can't carve out opportunities, you can't penetrate your opponent? And as I said, it doesn't matter who's on the pitch. It doesn't matter who's on the pitch. It doesn't matter if it's Aubameyang, Lacazette, Martinelli, Smith-Rowe, Saka, Odegaard. It's the same problem. The there is a huge lack of of spark there. How do you get that? You have to go out and get better players. You have to go out and get players that are capable of producing that on the regular basis because none of these lot are. None of them. They underwhelm in an attacking sense. This Arsenal side underwhelms in an attacking sense pretty much most weeks. And sometimes we produce the moment that gets us through the game. And what has kind of made us look better this season is that We've been able to be better defensively overall, barring a few games. And that's led to us then, when we do get those moments, being able to see it out and that being a winner. 
right now though this is um this is worrying because the defensive structure the defensive stability that we thought we had found and thought we had kind of built is is starting to be questioned now and rightly so what i would say in defense of the back four is that i don't think this issue right now is with them i don't think it's them that are are letting us down um in terms of overall, I think, look, Nuno Tavares has made a couple of mistakes at fullback. But aside from that, I think White's been good. I think Gabriel's been good. I think Tommy Asu's been good. I think the problem's been that we've been really lacking in midfield and we've not been brave enough to get our midfielders forward for them to influence the game in an attacking sense. Equally, they're not disciplined enough and, and not smart enough and not doing a good enough job of protecting the back line. So what on earth is it that they're doing? And if you cast your mind all the way back to the start of the season, um, when, when we were talking about the transfer window that Arsenal had had, people kept asking me, rate the transfer window. How do you think the transfer window's gone? And the thing that was always in the back of my mind and the thing that I mentioned time and time again, and I wasn't the only one, plenty of people expressed this exact same concern, was that midfield looks lightweight. That midfield is not fit for purpose. Now, if you're going to ask Granit Xhaka to sit in front of the back line all the time, then he could do that job and he could probably do it more often than not quite well. But if you're going to ask him to be aggressive in the press, and if you're going to ask Arsenal to try and play further up the pitch, I don't think it suits his game. And I think what you're doing now with Arsenal is we're, we're having this identity crisis again. Because when Granit Xhaka wasn't in the team, naturally our midfield was a little bit more mobile. He's come straight back into the team. So what does that mean now? Do we undo the positives that we saw or the work that's been put in in recent weeks? Because if I think about the way we've pressed... Um, you know, in the last couple of fixtures, it's been nowhere near as aggressive as it was in some of the fixtures prior. And it, I don't know if it's the manager putting across mixed messages. I don't know if it's the players being at one level one week and a completely different level the next. I don't know if they're not bought into it. I don't know if they're not believing in it. But we're not seeing consistency in in all areas. We're seeing it in some ways. You know, I think the way we're playing out from the back is quite good and we look quite comfortable doing that. I think we've become pretty consistent at that. But the way we progress the ball beyond the back line, I don't think is is consistent. I don't think the way we look to build up in attack is consistent. You know, we saw the only consistency we've seen recently or, or we've seen under Mikel Arteta is that bomb on the left back and play the ball out to him and get across into the box. And tonight it worked for Martin Odegaard's goal, but more often than not, it doesn't. So I think what this game has done is it's it's brought a lot of questions to the forefront. And while, you know, people can sit there and they can say, you know, I think he should be he should be sacked. He should be gone now. We should cut our losses. We should move on. We should bring somebody in more experienced. I think that the likelihood of that happening at this point is very low. I think that the club, as I said to you guys time and time again, have gone, excuse the phrase, but balls deep on Mikel Arteta. And I don't think they're going to let him go. I don't think they're going to want to cut ties with him right now. I don't think they believe that moving on from Mikel Arteta at this stage in their project is the right move. So what do we do? Well, I think we've got to get behind the team, obviously, um, as as fans always do and, and always try to do. But we have to be 
talking and discussing what it is right now that isn't working. You know, it's again for me the the most concerning thing tonight was not the not the result. And I know that sounds crazy and it sounds stupid. You can lose a Premier League game to anybody. Anybody in this division is capable on their day if you're not quite at it of pulling off a result. That's why it's the best league in the world. So I'm not, you know, I, I'm obviously disappointed with the result and I'm obviously frustrated with the fact that we've missed an opportunity to take points. But for me, the bigger concern was the performance and some of the decisions made by the manager. And we'll come on to talk about some of those now. Why start Kieran Tierney if you don't think he can make the entire game? You know, this has been my issue with Kieran Tierney from the very beginning. And people have always said to me, oh, you know, he's fantastic. Stop it. Stop having a go at Kieran Tierney. He's brilliant. He's he's wonderful. He's he's excellent. He brings so much to the team. He's such a great defender. I'm not saying that Kieran Tierney is a bad defender or a bad footballer for that matter. But we cannot rely on this guy to be fit. We cannot rely on this guy to get through 90 minutes of football. You bring him into the team tonight. People were telling me during the international break, oh, he's ready to come back. He's played games for Scotland. We bring him in today, he lasts 65 minutes. Mikel Arteta brings on Nuno Tavares. And I thought that played a huge role in our undoing tonight. And, and you know, people say I'm afraid to, to criticise the manager. I'm absolutely not. And I'm going to do that now. That was a decision that baffled me. Was Kieran Tierney injured? Is that why he come off? Remember, I'm doing this straight after the match. I haven't seen any interviews. haven't seen any press conferences. Was Kieran Tierney injured? And did he need to come off? Or was Mikel Arteta looking at him, worrying about his fitness, worrying about tiredness and taking him off as a consequence of that? Because if that was the case, mate, tell your left back to sit back. Tell your left back to sit back, defend first and foremost, and maybe freshen it up ahead of him. You know, we we were winning the game by a goal to nil. Your left back don't need to be bombing on every two minutes. And maybe all the noise that has been around Arsenal in the last kind of few days about us being very, um, very quick to drop off when we take a lead and, and us being really negative in that situation. Maybe that played a part. Maybe Mikel Arteta thought to himself, I can't just sit back now and try and defend this. And you could actually see, and, and although I was watching the game on the television, you could see that Mikel Arteta was constantly encouraging his team to step up and get forward. He was constantly encouraging his players to get up the pitch at every opportunity because he himself was probably wary of what people have been saying. Wary of what the perception is of this Arsenal side. Wary of what's been the problem in recent weeks. And one of the big problems has been that lack of bravery that I talked about after the Manchester United game, where we do take a lead. We maybe don't believe in ourselves enough to then go, well, let's keep going. You know, we're controlling the game. Let's keep going. Let's keep being aggressive. Let's defend from the front foot. The best, uh, you know, the best attack is, is you know, sorry, attack is the best form of the defence. Attack is the best form of the defense. We got the um we got there in the end. That's the phrase. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. But he makes that decision and he takes him off. And then Gabriel Martinelli goes down, another player who seems to be made of glass. Maybe it was cramp. He did put a good shift in. He put a good shift in at Old Trafford the other day as well. But this was the bit that really baffled me, even more than the decision to bring Gan Granite Xhaka back into the side. It's clear that. 
Mikel Arteta highly rates Granite Xhaka, feels he's an important part of the team and wanted to get him back in ASAP. Okay, I don't agree with bringing a guy back after that long out away at Everton in the way we did. But I don't think that Granite Xhaka was why we lost the game tonight. Okay, I, I really don't. I, I don't even think he was the worst midfielder. I think Thomas Partey was much worse than Granite Xhaka tonight. And I hope people can put their agendas to one side and actually recognise that although Xhaka struggled, I thought, for fitness towards the end of the fixture, he wasn't the problem tonight. He wasn't the reason that we didn't um, that we didn't win the game tonight. You know, it was... I would pin more of it on Thomas Partey than I would on Granite Xhaka. That's my personal opinion. But the decision to bring Eddie and Ketia on for Gabriel Martinelli baffles me. He did it at Old Trafford and he's done it again. Mikel Arteta, come out and tell us why Nicolas Pepe's fallen out of favour. Come out and tell us why Eddie Nketiah is getting game time. In fact, you don't even need to say Nicolas Pepe has done this. You know, I understand there's a need and a, a desire to keep that kind of shit in-house. Okay? I don't expect the manager to front up at the press conference and say, well, Nicolas Pepe has been displaying a poor attitude in training, therefore he's not in, in contention. Forget that. I'm not even asking for that. What I am asking you for, Mikel Arteta, is to come out and tell me why Eddie Nketiah keeps getting opportunities. Eddie Nketiah, who days ago rejected a contract offer from Arsenal. Eddie Nketiah, who has no intention of remaining at this club. Eddie Nketiah, who is headed for the exit door. And not only is Eddie Nketiah headed for the exit door and not somebody who represents part of Arsenal's future. He's not as accomplished as Nicolas Pepe in terms of scoring goals in the Premier League, creating chances in the Premier League. And he certainly isn't a winger. That's the biggest bit. You know, he's not a winger, is he? He's a he's a centre forward that you're trying to shoehorn into a left wing position because you're so desperate not to bring on a guy who is inconsistent at times, is frustrating at times, has his ups, has his downs, but is a much more accomplished Premier League player than Eddie Nketiah. It's it, honestly, it, that was a decision that drove me mad. He brings on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang um, really late in the game, hopes he's going to impact the game. He misses a really, really good chance at the end of the match. And, and do you know what? It's annoying. You know, he's a centre-forward. He, he's got to do better. He, but he's come on with five minutes to go. He's had no time to warm up, no time to get in the game. We're not working the ball to the strikers. He's not had a few touches to get in. And it's not an excuse for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang because a good marksman takes that opportunity regardless of how long They've been uh, they've been on the pitch. Bear with me a second. I've just lost uh, a connection. Give me one second, guys. Let me get that sorted on the camera. You're missing my beautiful face while I'm ranting about the Arsenal. Give me one sec. Oops, wrong device. Here we go. I must have knocked the wire out or something. I don't know what I've bloody done. Anyway, let's switch to this camera for the time being so we can continue through the podcast. Apologies, I must have hit a button there or something. I don't know. Maybe I knocked the wire out. Can you see me? Give me a thumbs up in the chat if you can. Yeah, I'm. 
you know, it's it was it was a number of baffling decisions made by Mikel Arteta that just I don't know. They're just I found strange, you know, and I'm I'm getting really kind of I'm finding it harder and harder week on week to kind of make sense of it. I'm finding it harder to understand certain elements of his management. I'm finding it hard to understand um, you know, some of the decisions and, and especially ones with regards to Eddie and Ketia. That is driving me absolutely bonkers at the moment. Apologies for the technical stuff. I, I don't know exactly what has gone wrong here. Hold on a second. Let me uh, just try and fix this because it is going to irritate me. Very professional from me. Maybe in my anger, I kicked the wire out underneath. I don't know what I've done. Um, maybe that's it. But anyway, is that what it is? Have I kicked the wire out? Anyway, forget it. Let's just carry on as we are um oh the microphone back can we get the camera back that's the big question well no i think i have to restart the laptop to get the camera to fire up so don't worry about that we'll um we'll just stick with this one but yeah it's um you know it's just weird decision after weird decision after weird decisions and you can only defend those decisions or you can only give him the benefit of the doubt in some of those situations when the results are there, when the performances are there. And at this moment in time, the performances certainly aren't there. And you could probably argue the performances have never been there. But the results have come at certain points and have given us reason to be optimistic and reasons to believe that we're heading in the right direction, only for us to then hit brick walls straight away. Look, I think for me, I always knew that this team were going to have ups and downs. I always knew um, that I always knew that we were going to at times struggle and at times be in positions where we didn't want to be. And, and I knew that this was a process and I knew that this was going to take time. What I'm really, really struggling with, though, you know, at this moment in time is not the um, not, not even necessarily the results. As I said earlier on, you know, I. It's disappointing when you go to somewhere like Goodison Park against a really out-of-form Everton side in a game that you, you have a chance of winning. Because you, you look at that game and you go, well, this is an opportunity, isn't it, to prove people wrong, to silence the naysayers, to, uh, you know, to, to take advantage of what's gone on around us and and close a gap. And, and, and look, ultimately, if Mikel Arteta had gone back up to fifth within a point of fourth place, then nobody could sit there and say an awful lot about this team. You know, you could sit there and you could you could peddle agendas and you could say, well, we're this and we're that and, and I don't like him and I want him out. And you could be waiting like a lot of Arsenal fans have been for that first slip up to come along or that next slip up to come along so that you can, um, you know, so that you can make your voice heard again. But, you wouldn't have really had a leg to stand on being if Arsenal had won tonight and moved into that position. You know, had we gone into the Christmas period within one or two points of the top four, you'd have had to have said that that surpassed most people's expectations. But you only manage that if you take opportunities. And going to Everton tonight, although, as I've said, it was it's never an easy place to go, given their form, given everything that's going on with them, and the fact that they sat their director of football yesterday and there's lots of uncertainty around the direction in which the club is going. I mean, this was a club 
whose fans were planning to walk out on the 27th minute. And they probably watched the first 27 minutes and thought, actually, Arsenal are okay. Um, Sorry, Everton are, are doing okay here. You know, we're in the game. Maybe we should stay and get behind the team. And you saw that that was underwhelming, wasn't it? Not many of them actually walked out of their seats. And it's just... Everton were in turmoil. Everton were with their backs up against the wall. And I know some people say that it had to turn at some point, but this was a real golden opportunity for us at least to add another point to the tally, pop a point in the bag and get out there with something. And what have we done? What have we done? We've gone there. We've taken a lead. We've controlled most of the game and we've given up the game and we've walked away with jack shit. And it's a big, big problem um, because, you know, you, you you look at the table now and all of a sudden it looks very different. You know, as I say, win that game, you end up back in fifth place above United, above Tottenham, and you're within a point of West Ham United. Now we're four points again off of the top four. And I, look, I keep saying this. I don't expect Arsenal to be in the top four come the end of the season, but I expect Arsenal to be there or thereabouts. I expect Arsenal to be challenging. I expect Arsenal to be in a position whereby they've given it a good go. That would signify progress. And, you know, we're we're not there now. And, you know, there's a good chance that if we, again, you know, don't bounce back immediately, then you fall further and further behind. This league will give you opportunities. There will be opportunities to close the gap. People do drop points in this league. Everybody drops points with the exception of maybe the top three. Even they from time to time will, you know, Chelsea obviously went to West Ham and got beat at the weekend. Um, but, you know, it's um, it's frustrating. It is frustrating. Get your questions, get your thoughts in, um, uh, and I'll take some of those in, in just a minute. Um, I'm going to, Maximus, I'm going to, I'm not going to keep having spam in the chat, mate. I, I will block people that are dropping the same comment in about 265 times. Uh, you're also getting a little bit... Uh, a little bit over the top in the comments as well, mate. You know, I'm not even going to give it the airtime, but I am going to, like, if I see the same message come up again, I'll block it. I don't care because not because it bothers me, you know, I don't care. You can say what you want, but because you're killing the experience for the people that are actually discussing things in the chat, actually want to put questions by spamming it with the same message that, you know, yeah. Anyway, um, get your questions in, get your thoughts in. I'd love to hear from you guys. And, um, Let's see. Uh, let's see w- what kind of discussion this is going to lead to. Uh, just a quick reminder before we do that, actually. So I'll give you a couple of seconds to get your questions in. Pop a queue at the beginning of them. It really, really does help. But I just want to remind you guys that this podcast is currently brought to you by Pro Prep. It's the perfect study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering, or maths-related modules, and it can half your study time. Pro Prep provides bite-sized videos relevant to the module or course, which can be accessed from any device at any time. It has already helped over half a million students to pass their exams by providing customized STEM study tools that match your syllabus. Long lectures are condensed into short and clear video tutorials. And after the videos, you can go through what you've just learned with interactive exercises and practice questions. You can even submit questions to the pro prep professors and receive a video answer within 24 hours. We thank pro prep for their very kind sponsorship of the podcast. And uh, they have done a brilliant thing by creating a special offer just for our listeners. All you need to do is go to their website, click on the link in the description. 
um, for more information. And as a listener of the Chronicles of Aguna, you're entitled to sign up for a 30-day free trial without inputting any card information. So please do check it out. If it's something that appeals to you, your kids, your friends, your cousins, your brothers, your mothers, whatever, uh, then please do uh, check it out. And supporting Pro Prep is supporting the Chronicles of Aguna as well. Um, I want to say a big thank you to Saeed Abdullah. I, you did put a super chat in earlier on as well. And I was in the the mode in the zone and I and I totally missed it. So I do apologize. He's putting another one. Um everyone is saying that Kieran Tierney is not fit. He had to be brought off. He played 180 minutes for Scotland three weeks ago. You don't bring Nuno if you want to keep a lead. I don't rate him defensively. Yeah, that, that that's the point um I was making side that for me it felt like a bit of a it felt like Mikel Arteta desperately trying not to see us sit deep and and, and back and maybe has been impacted, influenced perhaps by the noise around Arsenal's approach, having taken the lead in, in some recent fixtures. I don't know that for sure. I'm speculating, but it feels like that's what that substitution was. It's almost saying, well, we are sinking too deep with Kieran Tierney because he is naturally a defender. And actually, we need to get up the pitch and Nuno probably provides us a pretty good outlet with which to do that. I don't know. Maybe. Um Let's see what else uh, we've got. Uh, John says, uh, I think Partey uh, needs to sit out. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I said that without Granit Xhaka, I didn't feel we could leave Thomas Partey out. Like I didn't feel we can afford to leave such an inexperienced midfield to kind of carry the team on their shoulders. If Xhaka is back now and he's back properly, then then drop, uh, drop Thomas Partey against Southampton put Sambi Lakonga in there alongside Granit Xhaka because Thomas Partey has been a shadow of himself and it's it's not someone who's playing at 75%. It's it's not someone who's just slightly under their best level and, you, and you're kind of looking at him and going, well, you know, it's going to come good again eventually. We're at a point now with Thomas Partey where he's not just underperforming. He's not just performing at a level below what we believe to be his peak level. He's performing poorly and he's costing us. I thought he gave the ball away sloppily on multiple occasions at Old Trafford. He's even alluded to that himself in an interview that went out today. Um, he rates his time at Arsenal's four out of 10, which says a lot. And I think that, you know, his performances in the last few weeks have certainly been around that mark. And I think you're right, John. I think that he probably does need to sit out for a bit. Uh, James Rowe says, has Arteta lost part of the dressing room? It reminds me of the end of the Emery era. Difficult to say for sure, James. Um, difficult to say for sure. But I do think when I talk about some of the decisions he made, i.e., um, you know, for example, the Enketia one, I, I do think people will look at that and go, well, hold on a minute. He's not a striker. Uh, sorry, he's not a winger. And he doesn't want to be here. And you're talking about letting Flo Balogun go out on loan. Why is this guy getting opportunities and, and, and others aren't? Why is this guy getting opportunities ahead of somebody like Nicolas Pepe, who, you know, clearly, I believe, is a more talented player than Eddie and Ketia? Maybe something's gone on. But if we don't know that, then you need to maybe not say it outright, but you need to indicate in some way that this is not due to footballing reasons because people are going to look at you and people are going to think you're mad. And that's what's happening with Mikel Arteta right now. Uh, people are sitting there watching on and trying to make sense desperately of the decisions he is making. And and it's really difficult to do because, you know, as I say, we're, we're looking at players who 
aren't part of the future, don't want to be here. We thought we'd kind of got past that. We thought we got past the point where we had to use players who didn't want to be at this football club anymore to kind of get us by. And when you've got players in reserve who maybe are in a similar boat in the sense of his future doesn't like Arsenal, Nicolas Pepe, has more talent and is more suited to playing in that position. Surely you pick that one over that one. I, I don't know, man. It's um, it's strange. I don't know if he's lost the dressing room, but decisions like that, decisions to like to leave in Aubameyang out. You know, a lot of people wanted to see Aubameyang left out of the team tonight. And I don't, I think when I was talking to fans on the preview show that we did, the majority of you were telling me that he should be dropped. I didn't think he would do it though. I got to be honest, I, I really didn't think he would do it. I thought that, um, I thought that he was going to, um, I thought he was going to say, you know, no, you know, he's, he's going through a difficult patch. He's my captain. He's my leader. I need him. I'm, I'm going to keep him on the pitch. And he didn't, you know, he made the change. He, he made the decision, big decision, bold decision. I've always praised Mikel Arteta for making bold decisions, but that must cause fractures behind the scenes, right? I, I mean, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang will not have been pleased with the fact that he was left out of the side. And he probably wouldn't have been pleased with the fact that when Arsenal were looking to replace Gabriel Martinelli, they didn't say, come on, Pierre, get on on the left-hand side and go and play from the left wing. Instead, they picked Eddie Nketiah. So I think, yeah, I, I, you know, there might be signs of that. But again, I wouldn't like to speculate on that too much because I don't know it to be true. Let's take a, a couple more, um, a few more. In fact, Trevor Bibbons says, uh, do you think, Harry, that this is down to his inexperience as a manager or the quality of the players we have? I think it's a bit of both, mate. I think it's a bit of both. Um, I think that he is inexperienced as a manager. That's undeniable. You know, in December or later this month, it will mark his two-year anniversary in charge. It's two years of being a manager. Um, didn't have any previous experience as a, a kind of lone wolf and yeah, there, there are things that he needs to learn. There are things that Rafa Benitez will know, for example, or, or will be able to draw upon experiences that he'll be able to draw upon that will put him in a position where he can at times outthink Mikel Arteta and he can at times outdo him. Maybe he can spot something happening, um, you know, a little bit earlier and, and react to it that little bit quicker. Of course, the inexperience is a problem. And you know, I, I'm always I'm one of these people that thinks if you're good enough, you'll learn quickly enough. And at the beginning, there'll be bumps and at the beginning, there'll be difficulties. But I'm not one of these people that's like, well, you can't ever hire someone in any walk of life um, if they're not experienced. Because how does someone ever get experience if you don't give them a chance? But equally, as I say, they have to be able to show that they can learn quick enough. And I think in a lot of ways, Mikel Arteta has failed to show that. You know, I have to say that. Uh, I have said that before. A lot of people have this perception of me that I never, ever criticise Mikel Arteta. It's simply not true. I just don't go mad about it. And I still do think that we'll only be able to judge him fairly, um, you know, based on what happens this season. If we get to a point in January, in February, where our goals, as I said yesterday, are unachievable, then you pull the plug because that would be the season gone. But, you know, going into this game, we couldn't say that. I don't think after this game we can definitely say that, but I think obviously he's going to be under incredible scrutiny in the coming weeks. I do think the quality of the players, though, is the biggest thing, Trevor. I think that for me, we so often pile all of the kind of responsibility onto the manager. And, and at times we do that so much that we forget that the players are the ones that actually go out there and play the game. 
You can give them the best instructions. You can give them the best team talks. You can be the most motivating of people in the way you put your points and thoughts across. But if people are unable to go out and then execute that, then that's something that you can't really affect as a manager. You know, you've seen he's changed it. Mikel Arteta has never been afraid to change things when he doesn't think it's working. You know, we've seen different players come in. We've seen different formations since he's come. We've seen different systems. But I think ultimately the quality of the players is 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 the slightly bigger problem. They're both problems, but it's the slightly bigger one for me. You know, Enketia puts that ball in the back of the net. We win the game. It's done. We leave Goodison Park with three points. And this podcast is a very different podcast. We'd have still been talking about the performance being a bit lacklustre and the issues and the flaws. But overall, we'd have been doing it from a better place, you know, from a happier place. And we can't do that now. So, you know, there's that. Aubameyang goes and slots that chance in in the last minute and makes it 2-2. And again, not ideal, but you're talking about having gone 2-1 down in stoppage time, finding a way to then peg them back. And again, that feels a lot more positive. So I think the quality of the players is massive. Yeah, for sure. Big thank you to Dave uh, for your very, very kind Super Chat donation, mate. Thank you so, so much. I really, really do appreciate it, Dave. Um, is that Chilean pesos? Is that the uh, currency code? I used to work on a foreign exchange desk. So uh, I hope I've got that right. Testing out those skills. Let me know in the chat. Uh, let's move on. Let's pick out a few uh, more of your uh, comments, questions. Um, Side Abdullah on the Enketia thing. It's weird that a player who's not agreeing a new deal or doesn't want a new deal is getting on ahead of Pepe or over. If Enketia has not wanted to stay, he's not exactly going to make sure that chance is buried. Look, I just I, I want to be a little bit cautious here because I don't when I'm saying that Eddie Enketia should not be coming on and Eddie Enketia should um, shouldn't be the first choice kind of when we're in that situation. I'm not for a minute questioning his professionalism. I'm not saying that Eddie Nketiah came on and didn't try and score that chance. And I'm not saying that Eddie Nketiah isn't giving his utmost when he gets the opportunity. I just feel it's strange. And as I say, there's probably more to it. There's probably something going on behind the scenes. There's probably something that's happened with Nicolas Pepe. And that's why he's been cast aside and, and you know, is left out in the cold. But ultimately, I don't know that. So I'm going to find this decision strange. I don't expect the manager to come out and say exactly what's going on. You know, I don't think that's right. I don't think you should air your laundry in, in public, but you got to give us something. you got to give us, if you want to keep the fans on your side, you've got to give us something so that we can at least be a little bit more understandable. Uh, Jid F32 says, don't you think we're going overboard and reactionary? Yes, back-to-back -back defeats are bad and not all our performances have been great. Literally a week ago, though, everyone was buzzing. Now it's Arteta out. I completely agree with you that the pendulum can't swing that quickly, Jid. I, I, I do. Um, you know, I, I do think that we are too reactionary as a fan base. I think I'm even guilty of it at times. So I'd be a hypocrite if I had to go at everybody else. I think tonight I feel like shit off the back of what I've just seen. At the time of recording, at 20 past 11 on Monday night, I feel awful about what I've just witnessed. I feel like I've been kicked in the stomach. Because when you defend a team or when you back a team or when you feel invested in a team and you try so desperately to kind of, you know, I always say this, right? The, the biggest telltale sign for me that it's not all doom and gloom at Arsenal is that I feel invested in this team. And in recent years, I've not felt as invested. You know, in recent years, I'd have looked at certain situations and gone, well, stop moaning about the ref, stop moaning about this, stop moaning about that, and actually just focus on your own team. Because I was that apathetic towards it all that I would kind of go, well, you know, 
we've only got ourselves to blame. A bit like when you've got like a naughty kid that, and, and I'm speaking from experience now, you've got a naughty kid, you tell him, don't run in the house, don't run in the kitchen. Um, and then he kind of, then he runs and he slips and he falls on the floor. You don't jump up and go, oh my God, I hope you're all right. You go, well, I told you so. That's me anyway. And that's how I feel with how I felt with Arsenal for many, many seasons. And this season, I have felt more invested, more engaged. And, you know, watching what happened with Ben Godfrey, for example, today and the fact that Everton were allowed to kick us off the park and literally walk on players' faces, that irritated me, you know, and it, and it really fired me up and it got to me. And when we scored, I was delighted. And when we had those chances, I felt like my heart sank at the end. And that's a telltale sign that although things aren't all well at the moment, that we are at least moving in the right direction in terms of the players that we're bringing in. Um, and in terms of the idea behind what we're doing. But ultimately, if that doesn't translate into results, it doesn't mean anything, does it? Um, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, Deflected Mind says, at this point, I think we have enough evidence to know that Arteta isn't that guy, Harry, perhaps. Um, Fred says, Harry, when are you going to admit that you were wrong about Arteta? Listen, as I said yesterday, I'm not afraid to change my mind. I'm not afraid to change my mind at all. I just want to be fair. And 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 when when I'm saying that, that's genuinely what I mean. Like I, I want to be fair because we have come from a really difficult place. We we as a club have been run into the ground. We've been run poorly by shit owners. Um, we shit people in the in the the key positions. And I wanted to be fair. And I just think the guy's not had two years yet, and. <laughs> If you hire someone that is inexperienced, you have to do so knowing that you will you will have issues with that, that will cause problems. If you're going to hire that inexperienced person and then sack them after a year, year and a half, then what was the point in hiring them in the first place? You shouldn't have hired them. You should have hired someone with experience. If that is, if you look at things in the short term, then that's, you know, if you look at it all with a short-term lens, then you shouldn't hire someone who's inexperienced. So the point I'm always trying to make is that Mikel Arteta ain't going nowhere. He ain't going nowhere. If if it don't work out this season, then maybe he'll be moved on and that would absolutely be the right thing. But he ain't going anywhere at this moment in time. And so I'm trying to to take a step back, take get rid of the emotion. You think I'm not hurt when... Arsenal go away from home and get beat. You think I'm not hurt when Arsenal struggle to break teams down. You think I'm not hurt, disappointed, frustrated when Arsenal don't produce the results that they want. Of course I am. But I'm trying to be fair in my judgment and in my assessment. And I think that although there were a lot of elements to the game tonight that, you know, were unacceptable and a lot of those issues stem from Mikel Arteta, a lot of them are probably a consequence of what it is that he's instructing the players to do. When players are missing guilt-edged opportunities, when players are failing to deliver once they cross the white line, I, I'm always going to have sympathy for the manager. I had sympathy for Arsene Wenger when it was him. Um, I had sympathy for Unai Emery at times as well. For example, the Europa League final. Um, you know, I was upset about it. I was frustrated about it in the aftermath. But when I watched it back the next day, don't ask me why I did that. I remember thinking to myself, well, look, I don't like Unai Emery. And I was quite vocal about that fact. Uh, you know, whilst I wasn't convinced by him and whilst I wasn't sure he was the right man, 
I recognised that he'd been absolutely hung out to dry. Absolutely hung out to dry by the players. But ultimately, as a manager, right, part of your job is to make sure that they don't do that to you. Part of your job is to keep them so engaged and so um, on side that they, they they don't do that for you. They don't do that to you. They don't leave you in the shit like that. You know, they become like family. You know, they become brothers in arms. The soldiers just leave each other and, and run off when someone gets, you know, wounded. No, you know, at least not in the films anyway. They, they help each other. And the point I'm trying to make is you don't want your players to just desert you in the trenches. And part of being a good manager is making sure that they don't do that. Mikel Arteta is not always not always able to do that, clearly. Uh, but they've got to take some responsibility for this as well. And um, until, you know, as I said, I look at it and I, if it's a Bamiyang up front, he's not delivering. If it's Lacazette, he's not delivering. He's not, if, it's, if it's Martinelli, he's delivering moments, but they're few and far between. Bukayo Saka had an off game tonight. He's had a few off games this season. You know, Martin Odegaard was okay, but... The point I'm trying to make is if you gave Mikel Arteta a, a higher calibre of player in those areas, and, and let's be honest, of those players I've just mentioned, the only one he signed is Martin Odegaard. If you give him better players of that calibre and they're still not scoring goals and we're still unable to attack, then I will sit here and I'll say, well, the problem is clearly Mikel Arteta. But at this point, I think it is a bit of both. I really do. I think it is a bit of both. And when it's a bit of both, it's very difficult to allocate the blame to either party it's very difficult to allocate a percentage, for example, of, you know, it's, it's difficult to say it's 60% Mikel Arteta's fault and 40% the rest of the players' fault. I don't know. It's um, it's uh, it's weird. Uh, GG Moore says, if this was Emery, you would not be as patient, so I can't take you seriously. I spoke about this at length on the last episode. Have a listen if you haven't done so already, because I explained why there's a big difference between Emery and Arteta. Um, I'm sick of going over it, but it is on the last episode. You can't take me seriously yet. You're here watching me on a Monday night. Thank you. Um, Zed Blogger says, uh, Harry, Arteta will not get top six. We will not finish above Man U, West Ham or Spurs. We'll get seventh with hindsight. We should have gone for Vieira or Gerard. Uh, it's, um, First of all, said blogger, thank you for the the kind donation. I really, really do appreciate it, mate. Um, really do. He says Arteta will not get top six. We'll not finish above United, West Ham, or Spurs. We'll get seventh. I I, I think there's a good possibility that you'll be right with that. That we don't, um, that we don't finish above those teams that you've mentioned there. But when you say we should have gone for Vieira or Gerard, I don't know if that's the case either. You know, maybe Gerard. You can make a case about Gerard. You can make a case about Patrick Vieira as well, of course, because he had more managerial experience prior to arriving in the Premier League than Mikel did for sure. But I wouldn't have taken Vieira at the time. I've actually been impressed by what Vieira has done at Crystal Palace thus far. But his managerial career had been largely underwhelming prior to that. Steven Gerrard, I think he did great at Rangers, but it was at Rangers in the Scottish Premier League. And, and with all due respect to that league, it's not the strongest it's a two-team league I've been covering it quite a bit on commentary in recent weeks and the disparity between Rangers and Celtic and everybody else is massive the way it always has been um barring the odd season here and there so I'm not totally convinced about them two but you know maybe we should have gone for a more experienced appointment yeah yeah you know and and, and only time's going to tell uh if that's right or not 
let's see uh, what else we've got. We'll take a couple more questions. Uh, Guna Legend says, would I take David Moyes? <laughs> David Moyes is a good coach. He's a good manager. He's doing a great job at West Ham United. But the snobbery within this fan base would probably um, prevent someone like David Moyes getting the opportunity to be successful here. People will probably moan about his style of football etc etc uh freddie mctickles says ralph rangnick was the guy united took him also harry you said no chance of conte and yet he ended up at tottenham so maybe let's learn to not turn our nose up at people's comments um i said i i said in my opinion that i didn't think antonio conte would join tottenham i thought antonio conte uh, would want to be at a club where he could compete for the biggest trophies, would want to be at a club where there would be guarantees around what he'd be able to spend. That was, after all, the real reason he left Inter. Um, he proved me wrong. I'm not Mystic Meg. I will get things wrong. Uh, but what Antonio Conte's done has proven to everybody that he's just a mercenary. He's gone where the money is. Um, he's obviously been given a very, very lucrative contract at Tottenham Hotspur. But I can tell you this, at the first sign of trouble, He'll be out the door. I don't think Arsenal went for Conte. Um, I don't think it was a case of him choosing Spurs over Arsenal. I don't think Arsenal went for him. As I've said already in this podcast, they are balls deep on Mikel Arteta. And that's not changing at this moment in time. So um, I don't turn my nose up at people's comments. Freddie, people ask me questions. I answer them to the best of my ability, to what I believe is true. And, um, and I didn't think that he would join Arsenal or Tottenham. I stand corrected. Uh, Zaki says, uh, forget these trolls, Harry, they're ruining the stream. Yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, how long do you think Arteta has? Um, tough question. Tough question because I think he's probably got, um, he's probably got until our objectives appear unattainable. I don't even want to say he's got till as far as the end of the season. Because I think, you know, if you, you find yourself in, as I said before, January, February, and you're a million miles away or looking highly unlikely to be able to close the gap on on where you need to be, then I think that that means that, you know, there's a good chance he gets the chop. And I don't think anybody at that point would be able to argue with it. So I think for, as long as there is a chance, as long as we're in contention to achieve those goals, and I believe the goal is to finish in the top six, not the top four. As long as that is a possibility, as long as that is on the cards, I think Mikel Arteta will get given the opportunity. But I tell you what, if we do end up seventh, eighth again, um, come the end of the season, then I do think his position becomes untenable. And I've said that already. You know, it's I'm not shying away from the idea of Mikel Arteta being sacked. I think if it has to happen, it has to happen. And um, all I would say is that given the backing he's had in the transfer market with regards to letting players go, with regards to paying players essentially to go, I think that the club would be going against, you know, the the, the strategy to, to pull the plug. I think, as I said, if you appoint someone inexperienced and with the view of a long-term project, you accept that it's going to take a bit of time. And the patience that the club have will be far greater than the patience that the fan base have. If they had the patience of the fan base, they probably would be even worse owners than they are now because the fan base flips and flops. And 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 as do all football fans, it's an emotive sport. It's a sport that brings out emotion, stirs emotion within us. And ultimately, at times, that can lead to knee-jerk reactions. 
So I, I just think that given, as I said, all the things I mentioned, the way they've backed him, the way they've kept, um, you know, him happy, appeased him, supported him in his decisions to bomb certain people out, even when it was going to cost the club money. I think that they would be stupid and they would basically be admitting that they were completely and utterly wrong to appoint him in the first place if they sacked him within two years of his appointment. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly how long Mikel Arteta has got and I don't know exactly when I would say that Mikel Arteta needs to go. I, I think it's so difficult to put timelines on there. I think you know there's, you know, you will feel a breaking point. You will feel the break. And that's when you know. I think as a football fan, you you get that. I think there's been a few games in recent times. I mean, take the recent sacking at Spurs of Nuno Espirito Santo. It was the Manchester United game at, at White Hart Lane where when the game finished, the reaction of the crowd told you everything. And that was the breaking point. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. And that was the one that, or the moment where you knew that Nuno was going to get the chop. I think we've been close to that moment at Arsenal under Mikel Arteta on a number of occasions, but I don't think we quite got there yet. But if this poor run continues, if we continue to drop points, then it will come and it will come sooner than a lot of people want it to come. It will come later than some people want it to come because in the eyes of a lot of people, it should have been done previously. Look, I've had moments. Those of you who listen or watch this podcast will know that I've had moments after Villarreal um, after the start to the season where I've gone, I don't know that this is going to work. You know, I don't know that this is the right thing to be doing anymore. I don't think, I don't know that we need, we can continue with this guy. I've then taken a step back and looked at the broader picture and, and almost given myself a bit of a slap on the wrist and said, hold on a minute. You know, we're still very early in the tenure. We're still having to clean up the mess of the previous regime while trying to build it at the same time during a global pandemic. And I've kind of talked myself down from being the guy on the soapbox shouting for Mikel Arteta to get sacked. But there will come a point where where it's it's got to be done and it's got to happen. And that point, given what happened last season, given what happened at the start of this season and, and the fact that in the next few weeks we could find ourselves quite a way off of, off of the top four, I think that you, you know, you, you can see this coming and it, it wouldn't come as a surprise to me if things uh, took a real turn for the worse and, and very, very quickly. Right. Uh, I am going to leave it there. We've been going for over an hour. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm disappointed. Um, I just want to go to bed and try and forget about it. Um, won't be a podcast during the day tomorrow um, or during the day today if you're listening via the audio platforms because we are over at Night Imin uh, filming Welcome to World Class. We've done the first day of filming today. Really looking forward to sharing that series with you guys. Uh, great work by the Night Imin team, in particular Scott, uh, for putting it all together. And um, yes, we filmed the first load of videos today. We're filming the next load tomorrow. They'll be released from next week daily. Uh, it's always a bit of fun, lots of good debates, some great people on there as well. Um, so no podcast during the day, but I will be joined at half past five in the evening uh, by Mike Stavrou of Metro Sport. And we'll be having a bit of a chinwag about Arsenal, where we go from here, what have we've just witnessed, how many steps back we've taken in the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, let's see. Right. Uh, thank you all so, so much for tuning in. Honestly, it is so, so appreciated. I know it's not always easy um, 
to kind of sit and watch something like this or listen to something like this off the back of a really, really poor display, poor performance. Um, I want to set a target on the likes because um, we need them. They help. Um, you know, they really, really do. Uh, we've got 140 likes on the board right now. If we can get up to 300 likes um, on this video, I'd, I'd be absolutely buzzing, absolutely delighted. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're new. Make sure you check out Pro Prep, our sponsors. Uh, make sure you sign up as a member if you'd like to. Remember, that is not compulsory, but I do really appreciate the support. It does help me to spend more time and put more work and more effort into this channel. So if you would like to do that, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. But as I say, that's down to you. Everton 2, Arsenal 1, disappointing night at the office. I'm sure that the fallout is going to continue for a few days, at least until we play again. Uh, but try to keep a cool head. Try to keep a calm head. Let's um, Let's think about ways that we can move forward, ways we can improve things. And have constructive conversations and debates about the mighty Arsenal. Until next time, take care. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.